I don't know how to describe it other than like like a demon type of sound. But it's silhouetted, hulking, every bit of five and a half feet wide, 13 to 14 foot tall, pitch black. The one thing that ran through my mind when I had this encounter was I don't have a big enough gun. Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevning. Welcome to Creek Devil. Hello everyone, welcome to Campfire Talk. This is where we sit around the fire, put our feet up with a cold drink, and let the conversation flow. Uh, Milo's not with us today, he's got the flu, so he's recovering from that. He's doing okay, but he's just recovering. But... We are fortunate to have our good friend, the judge. Tony's with us. So, um, hello. I don't, I don't know where we're going to roll this. I guess Tony, you got some stories. I think we were all interested in hearing. Well, you you might like this. Uh, it, it involves a couple of them and some background. Uh, I had a, a very good friend who was my hunting partner up in Montana. He was also the tow truck driver. And uh, he was the only one for 200 miles or so. And you can imagine he was called on a lot of experiences and a lot of places. And some background, uh, he's an avid hunter. Didn't matter what it was, uh, he hunted it. And his walls had the pelts and the heads to prove it. Uh, And a number of years ago... He was up in the mountains. Now, when this gentleman went hunting in the mountains, he was in the mountains. He drove until the road gave way, and then he got out and walked five miles and then set up his camp. So he was truly in the middle of nowhere. And so he had gone out. He had his gear, had his gun ready to go, parked his car started hiking. Hiked way back to where he liked to hunt, put his tent up, got everything ready, got up the next morning, looked out the tent flap, and there was a Sasquatch. He figured about 50 yards away, walking right through the area. And he looked at it, and it looked at him, and it gave one of those tremendous roars he grabbed his gun and left that was 20 years ago and his gear is still there to the best of his knowledge he never went back Hmm. nothing scares this man nothing but that that was his story that was enough for him i think i would left more than my gear there (laughs) yeah no kidding so uh he was also, uh, well, yeah, he was a local tow truck operator, and uh, he got a call late one night. So he jumped in his tow truck. A couple of ladies had locked themselves out of their car. Uh, so you have to understand where we were at. Uh, all roads out of this town, other than one that went east to west, were dirt. So if you left the main drag, you were on dirt, that's it. And then that road continued on for 20 miles, dirt. So he gets his call, he takes off. 
I think, and I've been back there, scouted the area. It's about 10 miles back. Uh, he sees their, their truck and his headlights. Turns off his car, goes walking up. No women. Nobody's there. Hmm. Car's locked. He doesn't, doesn't know what to think. This is the middle of freaking nowhere. So he calls out. And he hears a timid, hello, shaky voice. It's coming from underneath their truck, their car. He looks underneath and hear these two women hiding under the car. So he gets them out, tells them everything's fine, asks them what's wrong. They said they had set up a camera to capture a comet. I don't know what comet it was. They all have weirdo names. But they wanted to catch this comet. This was a great place to do it. We were away from city lights. Of course, no city lights up here. And they were going to photograph it. They set up their tripod, their camera. And just as I got ready to watch this thing, a Bigfoot walks out of the scrub. Walks right past them, didn't look at them, didn't care, kept on walking right through their camp, through the sea. And they ran to their car. But because they were in the middle of nowhere, what's the use of taking your car keys, right? Who's going <laughs> to steal your car? But they locked the door. Hmm. So they had locked themselves out of their car in the middle of nowhere with a huge creature walking right through their photo scene, and they were petrified. They could barely talk. So he got their keys for them, got them into the truck, and off they went. He followed them out. But when they got into town, which wasn't much of a town. He said they could barely talk. They were absolutely beside themselves. So they grabbed their coffee, they got in their car, and they left. And he barely got them calmed down enough to take their camera with them. But uh, that was that was his second Sasquatch story. That was a good one. Well, gee, I wonder what was uh, bothering him so bad. I don't yeah. know. I mean, that must have been seeing things. He surely didn't listen to this show. <laughs> See, that's the problem. Everybody needs to listen to the shows that we put out so they'll not be uh, in a spot that's where, right. you know, they're like that. Or told us forearmed or however that goes. But, uh, yeah, that's what happened. Uh, I have another, when I lived there, I... Uh, I've had a little bit of difficulty health-wise, and so I had to move, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, I had a neighbor not more than a mile from me. And uh, he called one day, and we've been talking about this. And he said, uh, the big guy's here. Why don't you come over? And I knew exactly what he meant. And then I hear some promotion, and he says, just a minute. And his wife got involved, and she did not want a scene 
did not want publicity. She wanted uh, them protected. Uh, she wanted it quiet. And so he came back and uninvited me to his campfire uh, where the big guy was uh, apparently there. I guess he was just observing. I don't think he was participating in the barbecue. But uh, they were there and they were close. It was a it was a great place. Montana is a just a wonderful place for wildlife. Well, Tony, the town that you lived in, I believe you told me at one point, a uh, huge, huge metropolis of what five hundred, maybe five hundred and fifty people. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, in the summertime. It exploded to about eleven hundred people. And uh, in the winter, it was only 600 people or so. Um, it was uh, it was heaven for me. When I drove into town to look at the house and realized that all roads are dirt, I was home. It was just, uh, ah, what a beautiful place. I was always uh, thrilled and really uh excited to hear some of the people who have come on this show and others who talk about living in Montana and uh, having many, many encounters. In fact, encounters that go back generations uh, with Bigfoot. Uh, so they're, they're in the area, and there are a lot of them. Kalispell is a big area, uh, all through the Glacier Park area. Uh, it is. Uh, it's it's quite a haven for Sasquatch. Well, Tony, the other thing I wanted to know is you have a a Bigfoot. You sent me a picture of it. It's not the Bigfoot that we're talking about, but uh, with your permission, uh, I'd like to be able to post it uh, either on this episode. Well, if that's okay with you, and it gives you an idea of some of the local. Uh, fauna that are there. This was two blocks from your house, right? That that uh, grizzly. You know, uh, Tom, I do not recall it. I'll tell all the folks. I've I have a, a stroke that knocked me on my tail for about a year, and uh, although I have not had problems with memory, that photograph doesn't come to mind. But sure, use it. What the heck? As long as I'm fully clothed, you're welcome to use it. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, no guarantees, Absolutely. I mean, you know. Right, yeah. What I'll, what I'll do is I'll, I'll post it on the GRG Facebook page so everybody can get a look at it there. I mean, we have, here in Oregon, we have black bears. And we get some 400-pounders, but this thing. Oh, you're you talking the about the grizzly picture. Yeah, yeah, oh, the grizzly yeah. picture. Yeah. Oh, that, he was huge. Yeah, I didn't know exactly. He didn't define it well enough. Yeah, he was, go ahead, use it. He was absolutely a monster. I mean, one swipe from that, you're done. You wouldn't even know what hit you. No, many, many times I've, in fact, I don't know if this is too personal or not, but uh, when they found me, uh face down in my garden I was in bad shape but what got me what why I was found was my neighbors 
heard the grizzlies going through the garbage. And he went outside to chase away the grizzlies and found the judge face down in the onions. And so uh, it was <laughs> it was that reason that they, they found me out there. I'd still be there. Yeah, that's well, or the grizzlies would have taken you away. Well, yeah, I would have been a light snack. Well, it's a good thing the neighbors came out there and, you know, and they were after the garbage first and not the judge. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Although the judge smelled worse than the garbage, I'm assuming it attracted him. Anyway, that's my story. Well, it, it's pretty interesting, and there's not a lot of people out there who can say, "Well, this is a <clears throat> this is one of the occurrences that can happen in my town." Uh, you know, we have things I'll to deal you, with, but uh, just. Uh, I don't know the name of the movie, but this fella was uh, a guide, and he guided a number of different people, uh, some movie stars. Sloan was one of them. Uh, I took him on hunts. But while he was doing that, they asked him to be an extra in a movie. I can't remember the name, but he was supposed to have spent been sitting in the snow and died in the snow and was frozen in the snow. And uh, he literally had to sit in the snow for hours to shoot this. But if any of your viewers, and I'm certain there'll be a number of them that'll know the movie, if they see the movie, he's the guy that's frozen in the snow. I wish I remembered the name of it, but I, I don't. So go to your local... Sound like an interesting movie, though. Oh yeah. Um, although sitting in the snow, that, that doesn't interest me a whole lot. But uh, you know, for hours on end. <laughs> well, I got a was call. That, was that Jeremiah Johnson? I don't know. I I just don't know. I, I, mean, I, I, I got that, a call. From I think him. that might have been the movie. I I remember that character sitting in the snow. They found him frozen. He was just sitting there. That that could very well have been him. Uh, in fact, I, I think it was. Uh, we were going to go elk hunting uh, one morning, and I got a call. And he said, uh, it was early, before sunrise. And he said, uh, step outside. What? Step outside? You've been outside yet? No. So I stepped outside. 48 below. Good Lord. <laughs> uh so I went in, had a cup of coffee, and went back to bed. 48 below. How do you heat your house in that? I mean, that's, <laughs> oh, that's man. unreal. I used to carry a lot of wood in. I'd carry uh, three or four arm loads uh, a night, and you're up every couple hours uh, stoking a fire. Gosh, it was great. <laughs> it was <just> great. <laughs> I know Forrest. Well, I got to tell you, my I, wife's family is for, sort of from that neck of the woods. They were actually from Canada. They, they had stories like I, that. I hear Forrest's wheels turning there, Tom. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. I got, us, I got us off topic here, and I didn't No, there's no topic. <clears throat> nope, no topic. Y'all forget I spent 17 years in Alaska. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Did it bring back fond memories, though? 
Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I always laugh when when we get snow and ice here in Texas and everybody goes, "Oh, I can't go to work and I can't do this and I can't do that." I mean, it's like that was never an excuse in Alaska because the first thing you no. get was are the are the snow plows running? Yeah, you can come to work. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm sure a lot of people know this by now, but in Fairbanks, I know, uh, they have uh, electrical outlets that are on the parking meters and uh, around town. Oh, yeah. So when you <laughs> you plug your car in so it doesn't, the engine doesn't freeze, that's standard up there. Yeah, block heaters. People don't, I, I had people, I've got one on my, my vehicles, both my vehicles, and people ask me, Oh, I didn't know that they made electrical cars like that. And I'm like, they're not electrical cars. That's a, that's a block heater. <laughs> we had, that's you go shopping anywhere in Alaska, you into the major cities, and I'm sure it is the same way in the smaller towns too. But uh, you go, uh, just the parking places, even on the uh, the parking lot, uh, every other every other one will have uh, poles there with plugs that you can plug your vehicle into. Wow. Yeah, it gets that it gets that cold. I mean, you've got to have uh, that uh, that oil's got to be heated up, or you're not and, starting uh, your vehicle. And our friends live in that. If you can imagine it, they live in, of course, sort of grizzlies and moose and everything else. But we are uh, we're not made for that. That's for sure. <laughs> nope. We're warm weather folks. <laughs> we don't have enough hair on our bodies. You know, one thing you mentioned, Tony, though, when they when they didn't want to um, have you come out there where the creatures were at that time, it's it's kind of it reminds me of people. You know, most of the most legitimate stories I've heard, you know, where people have some kind of evidence or they have something happening right now, they don't want any kind of attention on it. No, that's true. And, that's true. And for me, that's a real way to gauge these days. Uh, you know, if I see somebody posting something all over social media, that's a huge red flag. Uh, but if somebody, you know, contacts me, but they don't want to talk, they don't want anything out there in public, to me, that's the most credible. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And you can, you can tell when those people are legit, too, because I, I remember doing shows where they would stutter while they were telling their story and stuff. And, and to me, they were reliving uh, the experiences that they had. And you can tell those people are legit. Absolutely. You could hear the emotion in their voices. Yeah. You sure can. Yeah. You sure Chuck, can. You're, you're spot on with that. That's one of the things, you know, how do we vet? How do we validate? And uh, a lot of it has to do with the credibility of the person. How do you, how do you determine that? And, and, and are there repeating oh. patterns? But what you just said, when it brings back those emotions, I think about uh, you know, a lot of the guests. But I, I think of Gerald up in, up in Washington State, you know, and you can hear the emotion coming back. Um, he actually got, he kind of got mad at Will. He said, well, you're bringing it back, man. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's the unfortunate part is sometimes it does, but it also helps you kind of kind of put it in its place in your mind, you know, the more you talk about it. Well, you know, 
um, demeanor is very, very important to a judge. And if somebody appears in your courtroom and their demeanor is off, something's not right. They, they just, uh, you can, it's, it is part and parcel of your decision is the demeanor of your witness. Um, and within the last 10 years, they have gone to uh, hearings that are over the telephone. Never used to have that. I'm showing my age now, but that's the way it is. And to have somebody in the courtroom testifying, uh, and you can see their facial features, you can see how they move, um, it's extremely important. And the same thing applies here. Um, when people have something to gain, uh, there's a monetary interest, notoriety. It's, uh, it's really easy to see. And I think it's really important. Well, I know I've seen things, you know, because we watch the ID channel and all these murder cases. And, you know, when they're talking about witnesses in court, the police are, and sometimes the attorneys, they talk about things like, um, you know, the way a person is, when they're answering a question, they're looking up, I think it's to the left, if I recall, where that's an indicator where they're trying to access memories. So they're trying to, they're walking their own mind through the details of a situation, and that's kind of an indicator that what they're doing. And there's another way, I think, I don't know if it's the opposite way, where they're fabricating things. And uh, But anyway, that's that's something I always thought was interesting. I'll tell you a funny story. I had a hearing. I was uh, the arbitrator at the time, and uh, husband and wife were there, and of course all the attorneys, and uh, questions are being asked. Well... The couple that were in front of me, the husband and the wife apparently didn't realize, I don't know why, they didn't realize that the table was glass. And so as the wife is testifying, you see the husband's leg hit her, oh. hit her leg under the table. <laughs> And so every time she'd say something that was not true or he didn't like or he was worried, he'd kick her under the table with his leg. Boy, I thought that was a great indicator. I just laughed. <laughs> what a moron. <laughs> they lost. Well, in reference to kind of what Will was talking about, people looking off the certain directions as to be whether they're there's veracity to what they're saying or not. Um, I was actually watching uh, in one of those true crime shows, uh, and um, I won't say what it was in reference to, but this particular gentleman, he analyzes um, um, people's facial expressions and, and the things that they do while they're uh, you know, testifying and, and saying things. And uh, they said that I, I found this quite interesting, and I never, and I actually, when I started thinking about it, I thought, you know what? People do do this. Uh, when they're trying to access memories, that sometimes people will actually close their eyes, and it's actually like they're trying to picture in their mind what, yes. what actually happened. And they said, now, and what's even more peculiar is that blind people that have never had sight will do the exact same thing. They will close their eyes 
Oh, that's interesting. Like, yeah, that is. I think that was totally interesting. That it is. It's obviously a function that uh, that we do as uh, humans to access those recessed memories. And I thought, how interesting. Even blind people do that. You know, it's interesting too. I, I've been out many times with witnesses. You know, take me to their the spot where they had their encounter, and they're very meticulous about details, small details. Mm-hmm. And and you'll watch them. They'll say, "Well, I was standing here," and then they'll look around and think, "Well, no, wait a minute. It was." And it'll maybe make two steps. No, no, this is this is it. And and they're very particular. Whereas if somebody if somebody's fabricating something, they they do a lot of generalities. The story might sound good, but um, you know it's it's always in the details when they're really meticulous about all the things that they saw and heard and where they were and where the creature was. That's really telling. A lot of times you'll see their body react too. Um, I spoke to a guy just this past week that had an encounter and he uh he pulled up his shirt sleeves and there, there were goosebumps all over his arms and what of, you know a lot of times you'll you'll see that in somebody's reaction and you, and you just you just know it's legit because uh because of how their body responded to the story that they were telling you know well, you can't fabricate that chuck no. you really you know that's that's a reaction and I, i'll tell you what i can relate to it chuck uh when people sometimes when people you know i'll go on a show or something and have somebody will have me recount my encounter my first one and uh you know even though it's been so many years it's been since 1974 but the back of my neck will get cold and and it feels yep. like the hair's standing up it's it's just you're still reacting to something even after that many years do you have nightmares about that oh yeah i still have nightmares yeah they're not often but i still have them too but i don't yeah i i I do too and i don't tell too many people i mean it's it's uh it's like you know sometimes you're almost afraid to close your eyes like what am i going to dream about tonight yep uh, I know the. I, I don't have nightmares, but I have uncomfortable dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, Will, you talked about, and we both know the gentleman, <clears throat> Lee. We've had him mm-hmm. on the show, and he took you back to the place where he saw the creature, and, and you were telling me that he really had a visceral was, reaction. Yeah, I mean, now Lee's a big guy. You know, he's real type A type personality. He went armed. In fact, he brought he brought two two pistols. Made me carry one while we were there, and I and I don't I don't carry firearms. So um, that was and and before we even started going into the location, and to me it wasn't you know it was uh, not far from where his old house was, a couple hundred feet. Uh, the main road was there. Now, granted, it wasn't like a super highway or anything. It was just a two lane road, kind of out, you know away from it wasn't near a town or anything but um it wasn't a place where i would get real excited about you know the creatures being right there and an imminent threat or anything but he was definitely reliving the moment and it had been at least five or six years since the encounter he was chain smoking and i mean a lot quickly uh and pacing back and forth 
it was it was like he was trying to work himself up actually to walk into the the space and it was an open area it was timbered but it was open not a lot of underbrush and um it was very interesting to watch that behavior as he was trying to work himself up into going 50 feet from the truck to you know kind of show me around this place hey let me tell you something the story that i told you about my friend who you know is about man let me tell you how i found out about that we were on this dirt road driving up to this area just in general not for any reason and he stopped me and he said do not drive on the other side of that bridge old dilapidated bridge and i said why he says i'm not going anywhere on the other side of that bridge and it was because that's where his encounter was. And we're talking 20 years. We're talking a man who lives in the mountains. And he would not drive across that bridge to that area anymore. Never been up there. So it has dramatic effects on people. You know, it does. I think about some of the areas that um, that I've had the encounters. And as you get closer and closer it starts to come back. It starts to come back and you're, you're, you know, your head's on a swivel. Yeah, you're inside of a truck and you got people with you. But you remember things. And I get that. You know, it's funny. The, the last one that was, we didn't see him, but like 2.30 in the morning, Will remembers this. We went to a spot and it was the last second thing. It wasn't the last minute. It was the last second thing. At 2.30 in the morning, we pulled into this, uh, it was an old power line cut. And we we're going to go in and calibrate some equipment and stuff like that. And we got in there and we weren't there five minutes before. All I can say is it was a cacophony of we were surrounded, not really surrounded, but about 180 degrees by something picking up trees. It had to have been the diameter of a telephone pole and just smashing them into other trees. And these some of these things were like 50 yards in front of us and smashed the side of a piece of equipment, logging equipment, excavator, you know, old old logging excavator. That was probably 200 yards away. And going back there in the daytime with a buddy, you know, your head's on a swivel. It's, it's all coming back. And yeah, I get that. Well, it's just like the incident. I think I related this to you, Tom, when, uh, and Chuck will know exactly what I'm talking about because he was party to this. Uh, when I was having all these strange things happening uh, with the lights coming on and everything else here about three or four weeks ago, and, uh, you know, I even, uh, well, I told Will about this too. And um, it, it, I was sitting in, in bed and the light, the motion light kept coming on, and Chuck kept telling, well, get up and look out the window. I, and what did I tell you, Chuck? No, I'm not. Because not I didn't. I'm not going to do it. I, because you know what, guys? I was scared to death what I was going to see out there. And, you know, I I know <laughs> I don't ever, I don't act like somebody that that's a, a fearful person. But you know what? I, I'm not really crazy about looking out my window and having 
when standing just on the other side of the window again. I mean, yeah, me seeing another one maybe 50, 200 yards away, you know, that's fine. But uh, I, that, it just doesn't produce the same type of reaction as looking out the window and it's standing right there looking back at you. You know, well, so. What no, about the guy we I'm just sorry. had on the other day? A witness oh, yeah. where it, it was staring at him. And Tony, you'll get a kick out of this. It was, uh, he was in his camper. And he had the window had you know those those pop out windows, and it kind of huffed or breathed on him. He gets all this oh, he was saliva on his face. Yeah, he was sleeping. Yeah, well, he had propped his head up, and then here's this thing looking at him with the big old eyeballs. And we have other stories that we probably or absolutely cannot talk about with windows. Um, so yeah, I get it. All you got is a little piece of quarter inch glass between you and this thing smashing its fist through the window i don't think so wouldn't you just crap on yourself <laughs> yeah if you lived long enough yeah, <laughs> yeah. i yeah, remember the idea of being pulled through in serrated glass no that doesn't thrill me too much either you know we've had kurt on a few times and well you know we, we met up with him mm -hmm. and his wife right in july and uh, he and I were up there, and we we're inspecting this little tiny footprint, a baby, probably five and a half, six inches max footprint in the dirt. And all of a sudden, off in the distance, and it had to have been, it was, a, it was hundreds of yards away. You heard this scream. And then from that point, you go about 60 degrees to the right, and you heard an answering scream. And I look at Kurt, I'm, I'm kind of mouth, did you hear that? Yes, it was, and it was in the middle of the day, which is odd, very unnerving. It's like, okay, this is uh, quite unnerving. We, we drove off, and we actually ended up recording uh, this thing. There was another one that must have been watching us the whole time. I bet it was 50 yards away. We have no idea where it was. But we had okay, company, and this was another one of the signs. Well... Well, most of these encounters are we're going to go to where they're not. Oh, yeah. Okay, this is a yeah, good spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like Lee. I mean, you see the markings when they're present in an area, they'll, they'll mark the place. And, and you, you saw, and I mentioned, I said, you know, we were driving across through that area about 30 miles from one place to another. And I told everybody to watch for the markings. If this is common, you'll see it often. But if it's not, you won't. And sometimes it's more important what you don't see than what you do see. And sure enough, we didn't see those markings. Well, Lee, uh, when I was talking about how, you know, very visibly frightened he was at going into that place where these things had happened years before, uh, got even more unnerved when I showed him a marking that was maybe 20 or 30 feet from his previous home. And uh, even though he said during that time they were relatively, I guess they went right up to the house, didn't they, a, a couple times? You remember, Tom? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But he didn't realize they close. were marking that close to the house. And nowhere else, it was just right there next to his home. So there was something that was attracting him to that spot. And that's what I find interesting is these unexpected, totally out of the ordinary um, behaviors, which, you know, we've talked about, we're seeing more and more of this lately. 
Well, and, and we've talked yeah, about that. Yeah, coming right you know. up to the house. Yeah, we've talked about that. Well, yeah, I mean, they are coming up. I mean, I, I think they have for some time, you know, come up to people's homes. Uh, and it could be just that they're just recently more people talking about that. but Or it could be in, an increase in activity, too. Yeah. I still go back to Brenda's story. I, I, I It's scary, but I love it. It's hilarious. Well, Forrest, in, Forrest can relate. Them, they look at him. <laughs> yeah, Forrest can, can relate, yes. Uh, well, you know what? I think this Just is a good time. Just put the camera outside and you'll be okay. <laughs> That's right. Put it out on the porch. Well, for for yeah. our listeners yeah, make who sure you have leave heard the damn it. can opener out there, too. That's right. <laughs> Forrest, let, let's do this. Some of our listeners haven't heard it. I know Tony hasn't heard it. Would you oh, be God. okay relating it? <laughs> oh, God. You guys are going to assure me of having nightmares tonight. So <laughs> you want to hear the, the can of beans story. Okay. Oh, God. Um, well, you know, I always use the, 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 the term that I came to, and that's exactly what I think happened. I actually came to because I think I was actually knocked out. Uh, it wasn't just like I woke up. But um, um, irregardless. Uh, I was in my, living in my cabin at the time because my house had burned down. And um, so this is a, a like a, a 20 by uh, a 16 building and uh, a cabin um, with an upper and uh, lower area. And I was sleeping in the lower area. And, of course, the kitchen and every, the living quarters is all combined. <clears throat> so anyway, um, just to give you a, a visual. And I don't, I don't know if I'd ever even actually ever said that before. But anyway, I think you probably gathered that when, when I told the story. So I'm, I, I come to, and my head is hurting. And I, put, I had placed my hand up on my head. And I have a pole light off to the uh, uh, northwest of the building. So there's ambient light coming in the, the building all the time from this pole light. And... Um, from the, that window on that side of the building. And I looked at my hand and it was, it had black all over it. And of course in the dark, I'm not really seeing colors. And, um, that's when I reached over and, um, I had turned on the light. Now, I guess I need to do a sidebar here because, um, uh, I had, I used to go to sleep. I don't do it anymore with uh, my earbuds in listening to programs such as Creek Devil and other things. And um, uh, so this obviously had affected my hearing of what had transpired that night uh, or early morning. So I turned the light on and I looked at my hand and I'm like, there's blood all over my hand. And of course, I had, when I first put my hand up, the reason I put my hand up, when I sat up, the blood had started running down my face. So I actually had felt it. And that was the reason I put my hand up to my head, aside from the fact that it was hurting as well. I had a good goose egg on the front of my forehead. And uh, I, I bear a scar in the middle of my forehead to this day from that. And um, I had this blood on my hand and I'm like okay what the heck so I'm like grabbing Kleenexes and you know wiping it off my head and that's when I realized you know I, 
when I sat up, there was a can of beans that had rolled down my pillow. And you know what? I and I think I told you, it didn't even register on me that that's what I had gotten hit with. I just sat it up on the, the uh, nightstand there. And that's where it sat until the next morning when I saw it and there was blood on the can. <clears throat> so while I'm sitting there and I look across the room at my door, <clears throat> and I should add there too that at that point in time, none of my cats were around. They were all upstairs peering down at me. And there was a peculiar smell in the cabin. And I remember, Tom, you asked me about this because I said it smelled like real strong urine. And you you jokingly asked me had I changed uh, changed my cat box. And um, it, it didn't smell like cat urine, trust me. Um, it was just a mus- musky, kind of a real strong urine smell. Well, anyway, while well, as I'm swing my legs over and I'm sitting on the edge of the bed and I look up, I see that my door is open to the cabin. Now I was very particular about locking because I live out here on this ranch by myself and I am very particular about, you know, locking my doors and I had a deadbolt on it and everything. And I think it was at that point in time, this was a couple of months after the incident with the window. And I think it just kind of hit me all at once. Like, oh my God, no, this it surely not. And um, the door, I couldn't get it to close. In fact, I, I, I think I told you guys, I ended up having to replace the, the lock and the, the, the a deadbolt on it because what had happened was the door had actually been moved kind of askance in the frame and they had just pushed the door in a human could I well I guess they could have but I think they would have had to done it with a a leg and you know you know like the police do you see them all you know kicking the doors in maybe they could have done that uh you would thought that that would have woke me up but I think this thing just slowly this is my own idea and I have pondered on this a lot I think it just pushed it in because the the whole frame where the, the deadbolt fits in there, it was just gouged out. The whole hole was just gouged out of the door frame. So it had just been pushed in. And here was this door standing wide open. And as I told you all later, I was grabbing everything I could find to push in front of the door and close it up. And, um, you know, I didn't want somebody or something coming back in there. And uh, that's when I realized that, you know, I didn't, I didn't put two and two together until the next morning. I saw the the blood on the the can of beans. That that's what I got hit with. Beaned with beans. And uh, yeah, beans, beans. And it had picked up this can of beans right there off of the counter in the kitchen, and it was a full can of Bush's beans. And I'm not trying to do advertising for Bush's beans, but that's what it was. So, um, you know. And I have never forgotten that. I had to have somebody come out and completely uh, put new uh, uh, locks and deadbolts on the uh, door. And, and you know, and y'all asked me, you thought, did I think it was the, I don't think it was the big guy that I saw, you know, at that window. He was way too big. I don't think he could have gotten that door. I think it was a younger one. And Well, you've, you know, you've had tracks you of younger ones there. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the thing about it is, is that, um, you know, you hear about him chunking rocks at people and stuff. I don't know that it was necessarily, I, I think it was mad, you know, hell, I don't know. I'm not a, um, a Bigfoot mind reader, so uh, I don't know what was going through well, the thing. You know, here's mind. a possibility, Obviously, too. From, here's a uh, limb to limb. Either. Here's a possibility, too. Instead of throwing it, maybe it was just holding it up, looking at it above you and dropped it. Well, that that is a possibility because obviously I was sleeping and I don't know what transpired. But you know, you hear them about them chunking rocks at people and and stuff like that. So it might have been just handy. And I'll, oh, you know, well, it was handing it to you. And those cans are get up. those cans are heavy enough. I mean, it could have knocked you out. Let, let me let me ask a question. If I this is fascinating, first I've heard it. What was the distance? Where was the can of beans normally kept? In the cupboard? On the sink? Where? No, I, I had that particular uh, can of beans I had left sitting on the uh, uh, the counter there. And right. I, did have, I did have a cabinet there, too, but uh, I don't recall now. I mean, this has been several years okay. ago, but it must have been sitting on the, the, the counter that I uh, left what? it out for some reason. What would have been the distance between the counter where the beans were located and you? About probably six feet. Well, that would have killed you. Well, it didn't. Something, <laughs> something that big would have thrown that at you. You would have thought that it would have done tremendous amount of uh, more damage. That's, unless that's why I thought maybe it was a glancing it. blow. What's that? That's why I thought maybe it dropped it. I mean, it could have been standing there, uh, standing over me for all I know. And uh, yeah, it could have had the can uh, above its head, maybe looking at it or whatever, and it slipped out of its hand. Yeah, I, I have well, no idea how it transpired, but all I know is I had to go to work with a huge knot on my head with a cut on my forehead and try to explain people, and I was like pulling my bangs down so that uh, uh, people were asking me, "What in the heck happened to you?" <laughs> I, I think what it was looking for was here's the beans. Now where's the cornbread? Yep. <laughs> I've always said that. <laughs> but you know, I I have I have wondered many a time why how I managed to live through the episode, you know. And it goes to their I mean, it was right, the can of beans was I mean, when I raised up it was somewhere on, on the pillow above me. And it literally rolled down and hit me uh, in on the side of the hip there. And I was kind of like, I looked at it like, you know, and my first thought was, what the hell is this doing over here? And I just, but I just sat it over on the nightstand and uh, didn't really, I don't know. I just wasn't, I wasn't thinking too clearly at that point in time. I'll be honest with you. You know, it could be the juveniles that, you know, they don't know what they're doing a whole lot of times either. Where was the can dented? Was it dented the on the was, rim? No, the can wasn't way? dented at all. Oh. No, oh, the can was wasn't dented at all. The, the can was I perfectly see. intact. It was the only thing dented was my forehead. <laughs> I Jeez. still kind of got a little L-shaped scar up there on my forehead where the, the edge of the can caught me and uh, cut my forehead. And, of course, you know, it's so easy to, that the skin is so thin up there anyway. And and it bleeds profusely, and I did. I was I, that. That's what first made me put my hand to my head. Not only the fact that my head was hurting, but uh, you know when I sat up, that blood started running down my 
my face. And uh, I felt that, and I put my hand up there, and I was like, oh, my God, where did this come from? I, I, wonder, what went through <laughs> its, I wonder what went through its mind when it saw the can hit you and you didn't wake up. Hmm. Time for me to leave. Yeah, right. <laughs> Exit stage right. Well, there, couldn't, there couldn't have been there couldn't have been very much time elapsed between the time that it hit you and the time that you woke up because the blood was not coagulated. It was still bleeding. Yes, you're exactly correct. And I thought about that too. In fact that the the smell was so strong in the cabin still. So still. that's why I, I, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I think I realized at that point that something or somebody had just been in there and it didn't smell human. It didn't smell like, you know, human body odor. And I was, I was literally piling, I pushed furniture up against the, the door is what I did. And, uh, I, I you know, I don't <laughs> of course, knowing now probably what, what was in there, and that the furniture would have done no good, but I'm, I'm, I don't, I think it was a juvenile that came in there because I don't think that that big guy could have got through the door. Seriously. Hey Tom, you know, that makes me think about TW story with his friend, John, you know, the guy that got his finger bit off. Now there yes. was, there was quite a fight going on in that room. I wonder, I, I'm just, you know, spitballing. I wonder if there was a strong, maybe urine smell in there too, because the creature was there for a bit of time. Well, no, he said there was. Remember when he went back there, he said it smelled. It was yeah. horrible. Okay, I, it was I awful. I remember that, but yeah, 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 yeah. He did. I remember that vividly. And it's not that different from Carol's, you know, where the creatures were actually marking her car by peeing on the hood and the door handle. Right. Interesting. Oh, that's just disgusting. Well, it is disgusting, oh, isn't that's it? Disgusting. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've I've heard accounts of them coming into a house um i mean and we've experienced in the log cabin down in southeastern oklahoma where they'll come up to the door and jingle the door handle trying to get into the house and you know i i've heard stories like that so it's not oh yeah it's no that's not uncommon chuck right I was going over some old, some of my old journal notes last night, and I was looking at that, and I was like, "Oh yeah, they." Uh, can you imagine? You know, I think jiggling your doorknob, and you take a look at, oh, it's him. Huh. I, I wonder how often too they would mark something by peeing on it. I mean, that's not something I have really tracked, you know, with talking to people, but I'm kind of curious about that. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. Well, it might be like a dog that always goes and makes the rounds, and they always pee on the same uh, tree, or you know, this is my territory. So I would imagine that they might do the same thing. Might be in a place, let's say, well, where there aren't trees where they can, you know, break them like they would, say, out here. Maybe that's something they would do in a place where there isn't that kind of vegetation to do that kind of marking with. Well, I, I think I told you this story about going down to Brown Springs, which is on the Texas Oklahoma border. And, uh, just for giggles and see if I could get a response. Um, I I'd get up in the middle of the night and pee on this one certain tree that was not very far from my tent. And, uh, the next morning when we got up and we went to eat breakfast, and then we came back to camp. 
And when we got back to camp, that that tree that I had been marking was uh, pushed over. And if it would have been probably, oh, several, six or seven more inches closer to my tent, it would have, it would have smashed my tent. Well, Tom, you remember, we shouldn't mention our, our friend, but who, who's involved in that stuff said that they, um, when they're out on their missions, they don't pee on the ground. They'll do it in bottles or whatever and take it with them because that apparently upsets right. the creatures significantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, how many that was times, the, uh, the. Go ahead, Tony. Uh, how many times have you heard that the incidents where someone has gone out beyond the camp to urinate, and then to be confronted by a creature? Mm-hmm. It's, it's it commonplace. Yep. And I don't know if it is an attractant or if it is something that is an irritant. I would think it's a slight reinforcement. What's that? I'm sorry. Would, I didn't would, hear what you said. Wouldn't you think that's a slight? I mean, if if you were going out in their area and urinating, yeah. I mean, you're you're oh, telling yeah. them it's this is my territory, and I think they'd be a little offended at that. Yeah, I, uh, male uh, male chimps uh, would take offense to that. Yeah, male male primates take offense to that. So, I think they would react in the same manner. That goes to that goes to reason why that tree was. I mean, and it was a green tree. I mean, the leaves were green and everything else, and it just about probably four inches off the ground. That sucker was broke and shoved over toward my tent. Yeah, that's a pretty clear response, I would think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hmm, Chuck, you were just pushing the, the limits there. Yeah, that's what it. I was. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of like that. Well. I don't want them coming in my house anymore. They're not invited. I'm sorry. I'm going to put out no Bigfoot invited. Fine. Quit eating beans. Yeah. <laughs> Here, I'll, I'll leave the beans outside. You, you can figure out how to open them yourself. <laughs> make sure you well, have they, the they pop top. They make the pop top, you know, now. So the, the particular can I had at that point in time didn't have the pop top. But I've noticed that uh, they've gone to making pop tops on. See, so maybe they could figure that out. That's why you got smacked. They said, you, you got to get the right can out here. Really? Sure. Am I going to have to go to Walmart to <laughs> get my beans? <laughs> they just won't let me in the store. <laughs> not properly attired. You know, and that's not the first time you hear about stuff like that. I mean, I, I interviewed a guy many years ago. Um he was a Vietnam vet, and, you know, he didn't talk to a lot of people. He was kind of to himself, but he found out I was a veteran. So we got talking, and he got telling me about um, a hunting trip that him and some buddies went on up by Mount St. Helens. And this is something I know, Chuck, I'm sure you've heard of this many times, and and uh, <clears throat> where they'll get into somebody's cooler. Mm-hmm. And they had one of these big ones, these big coolers. And when they came back from their hunting that morning they didn't just get into the cooler they dumped the thing all over the ground and and took you know some of the meat and some other things that were in there i actually had something like that happen um went on an expedition and i i had brought a cooler that was full of granola bars and snacks and stuff and uh when i when i set it uh over by the picnic table the picnic table was concrete and I just shoved my cooler on underneath one of the, the seats there. And so it was pretty snug. 
well, the next day I went out there, next morning I went out there, and uh, the cooler had been pulled out, and the granola bars and all that stuff, uh, there was a trail going out into the woods of empty raptor wrappers, uh, and uh, somebody said, well, Coons did that. And I'm like, Coons don't go all the way down a trail with empty granola you know, packages what, laying exactly every five or six feet. And that's, they're going to shred them. That's You'll see Tom. Them remember we, we interviewed Jerry Klein who got, the yes. guy had the, <clears throat> the trailer, the, the two creatures tried pushing over and they called the police and everything. Uh, that's what, that was one of the things that led up to that event was he had, um, remember he had the container outside of his, his, uh, travel trailer and, oh, he, and he, put, right. he put the, um, it was recycling. He had, you know, plastic bottles and things in there. So he went out one day and he found this trail of, of this material going out towards the creek. And he actually encountered one of the creatures out there at the end of this trail of objects. Well, and remember the gal that you and I spoke with? We can't mention her in what capacity or anything. It's about a, probably less than a month ago. And she's got these things, it looks like they're rummaging around her farm. This is here in Oregon and going through the garbage. Oh, yeah. they'd actually, I think they actually emptied that big dumpster. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As well as uh, some of the livestock just vanishing. So, Well, what about you talking about the recycling? What, what, remember my recycling? Yeah, <laughs> I do. You've had the same thing yes. happen. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, they lined everything up, and I mean, I walk out, and I'm like, what the heck's going on well, here? see, that's what happened with Jerry, too. It wasn't they just were dropping <laughs> things. They were actually lining them up, almost like a trail out to the creek leading him there, and, and we've heard that kind of stuff before. It's it's uh, You'll find those historical precedents out there. <laughs> I, I just, uh, I couldn't believe I walked out, and I just looked at that, and I'm like, Okay, well, raccoons didn't do this, and the cats didn't exactly. do this. Exactly. <laughs> those, those animals make a big mess with things. Oh, yeah, they just rip open the bag. Well, see, this, the, 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 I had, it was, you know, I think if you remember, I told you that was the bag that I was actually filling stuff up in, and I don't always, I tie it at the top, but I don't tie it in a knot so that it can't be open. And uh, it had been completely, it had been opened at the top, and then all these things were uh, set out different sizes, and lined up in a perfect line, but I mean, there weren't, there wasn't any, uh, you know, it didn't go down incrementally, large to small or anything like that. It was just like they just pulled out various things and, oh, I like this and I like that, and I'm just, and they just lined it up. I hear, here's something. I mean, it's almost like something you, Here. it's almost like something you see a toddler do. Right. Here's something for a thought. Um, we've got a couple different kinds of situations. Ones where they're removing wrappers and throwing the paper on the ground. And then, like I found, you know, the scat with the, the cellophane bag in it. So do you have oh, you God. have the neat Sasquatch on one side, then you have the Animal House Sasquatch on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, they just stuff, yeah, well, what, what, what they stuff wrapper and Oscar everything. Oscar Madison. <laughs> for, for for those of us who who can remember uh, Oscar Madison, I don't remember who the other guy was, but remember that TV show. Oh yeah, the, the odd couple. Oh, yeah. The odd couple. Oh, yeah, the yeah, odd yeah, couple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when so when you're we're, we're running short on time, folks, we're going to wrap up pretty soon. But uh, <laughs> it's something food for thought. You know, if you 
you, you can figure out which type of creature you got, whether they're being neat and discarding the wrappers or they're eating it. <laughs> <laughs> they're proper recycling. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a different kind of recycling for sure. <laughs> well, that's <is> true. <laughs> yeah, whether you're whether you're just throwing trash on the ground or you're composting. <laughs> Well, oh, we're out of time, folks. So any any final thoughts, everybody? Let's go around the go around the fire and kind of put our last two cents in. I'll start. I'm going to say thank you, Tony, for joining us. I hope we get many more campfire stories with you. And uh, this this is a lot of fun. It's just very informal, no specific agenda. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank Tony and and uh, Will and. Yeah, absolutely. Forrest and Chuck, all of us. So thanks, guys. Chuck? Yeah, I enjoyed Tony's stories. I, that was, and it was funny. Uh, can I tell him this, Tom? He gave me a little bit heads up on one of your stories, and my first comment was, I'd have been under the truck, and I thought that was funny when you said that they crawled under the truck, because you know what? That had been where I was, too, under the <laughs> truck. So. Right? <laughs> Chuck, how about you? Uh, really good course, uh, fire camp. Um, very, very good conversation. I enjoyed it. Tony, we definitely appreciate you coming on and being back with us and you're welcome here anytime. So you have any final thoughts or comments? One of the things that always fascinates me and the more I hear, the more I start leading in that direction and that is the divergence of intelligence that these creatures display. Some will line up bottles or whatever it is all the way down to a creek or some location, and somebody else will eat it. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> one, one, one of the creatures will do one thing, and then the other will do something else that uh, leads you to believe and guides you to the intellectual quotient that they have. Uh, <laughs> some of well, these look at are, <laughs> well, That's exactly where you're headed. That's exactly right. Uh, look at the people. It's the same thing. And if you add the gentleman who will remain unnamed and the... And the uh, Sierra sounds, you start talking about uh, our language. Do they have a language? How do they communicate? Uh, it's it's amazing topic. Or just or you get like the two juveniles where the other one smacked the other one with a stick in the head. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be one of my favorites. Okay, so with that, folks, we're going to wrap yeah. here. Thanks for sitting in with us. Join us next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's william, J-E-V-N-I-N-G, at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open out there. <laughs>